Hello and welcome to Grace Life Tigerville, a church situated in the northern suburbs of Cape Town. We pray that this teaching will awaken your heart to the reality of Christianity, which is Christ in you, and that it will result in increased fruitfulness in your life. I've titled my message, He is right in front of you. He is right in front of you. So... I know it's, um, I'm, I'm going to be explaining a lot more about that title, He Is Right in Front of You. Uh, but before I go there, I just want to read a verse from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 12 from the New King James Version, talking about what, we, what I was mentioning right now with all our leaders being out there in Albania, that he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So all these people that are mentioned here are typically in the church people that we consider as leaders. Leaders in the church. If you're a pastor, if you're a prophet, if you're an evangelist, if you're an apostle, you're considered as a leader in the church, right? And then Paul is now writing this verse and saying, what is the purpose of those functions of leadership? What is the purpose? For the equipping of the saints... For the work of ministry, for the edifying and building up of the body of Christ. So that means if you're a pastor, a prophet, an evangelist, the purpose of your function is to really equip everybody else in the congregation for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body. And that is exactly the reason why I'm standing in front of you this morning. I have been equipped by people that are, that are above me to be able to minister to you, to minister to the body, to edify or to build up the body of Christ. And so it is an encouragement to all of us to be partakers. Uh, so it's not just left for Etienne or for Soren So who is in leadership, but really all of us can be partakers of the work of the ministry because wherever we go, as long as we are encountering people, we have the opportunity to minister to people and just to bring the gospel to them. So it's just an encouragement for all of us that the work of ministry is for all of us, not just for some select people. So now as I introduce my message, like I said, I've titled it, He Is, right in front of you. And I'm always thinking whenever I'm, I'm sharing the word, what is, our, what is our goal? At the end of the day, if I share a message to you guys, what am I trying to achieve? What is the goal that I am trying to, to achieve? And so the goal always is to reveal Jesus. Because it is only through Jesus that we get to have life. It is only through Jesus that the message of the gospel can be preached. So the goal always in every message is to reveal Jesus. Because once you, have, once you understand what Jesus has done for you, then when you accept him, you have a relationship with God and now you get the opportunity to also receive the Holy Spirit and also be equipped for the work of the ministry. So if any message that you hear from any person, any pastor, any preacher is not pointing you to Jesus, then they are probably missing the point. Because the point always should be to reveal the, uh, the person of Christ. So another thing that I'm just going to challenge us with is that when we preach, we don't preach the Bible. I think it's something that, you know, if you go to any other traditional church, Christian church, 
it might be a challenging statement to hear that we are not here to preach the Bible. Because a lot of people come and preach the Bible, but because the, the reality is, what is the Bible all about? What is the Bible all about? We are here to reveal the, the person of Jesus, who we know is contained in the Bible, right? So this statement, I'm going to make a statement that, you know, the story of Jesus is not a Bible story. But the story of Jesus is the reason why we have a Bible. The story of Jesus is not a Bible story, but the story of Jesus is the reason why we have a Bible. The reason why I'm saying that is um, the Bible as we have it contained these 66 books of the Bible were only compiled in the 4th century. That means 400 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the question is, were, were there no Christians in those 400 years before they had a Bible? Were there no Christians? There were Christians. Why? Because the basis of our faith is not in the book, it's in the person of Christ. Our faith is based on the person of Jesus Christ and not on the compilation of books. Because in the Bible, there's a lot of information that is written in the Bible, but not all information points us to Jesus. So people who always abuse the Bible sometimes, they go into the Bible, preach a message. Yes, it's contained in the Bible, but if it's not pointing people to Jesus, then they are missing the point, like I said. Because the reason why there is even a Bible is because of the story of Jesus and not the other way around. So we should always be aware of the fact that I'm not, I'm not undermining the Bible in, in any way because I, I'm actually grateful for the Bible. Because, because in the Bible is contained the story of Jesus and we get to know more about this Jesus through the Bible. But the Bible is not the reason that we should be here for. Jesus is the reason. So as long as we are reading the Bible without pointing people to Jesus, then we are not doing the Bible a, a good service. So it's just something that I just wanted to, 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 to just reveal to us uh, this morning. That the foundation of our faith, again, is not based on the accuracy or inaccuracy of the Bible. The foundation of our faith is based on the nature or the identity of Jesus Christ. That is the foundation of our faith. Again, even when Jesus walked on earth, there wasn't a Bible like we have now. Like I just mentioned, people believed in Jesus not on the basis of what was, yes, what was written because that's what Jesus even preached. He preached from the old scriptures, which is the Old Testament. But even, even just by hearing Jesus, the words of Jesus, people believed. Right? Even without the Bible as we have it now, which is, in any way, I'm grateful, like I said, that we now have the explanation of these things contained in the Bible, which is really um, quite a blessing that even the people that lived in the time of Jesus did not have. So as we carry on now, um, like I said, we are talking about the message he is right in front of you. So what I'm trying to bring out here is that there are times, have you ever been in a situation where you, you've lived in a particular place, you've probably used a particular route or road so many times, but after several years, you suddenly realize, oh, there's a house here. It's always been there. 
The house has always been there. You've been traveling that road for many years, but you just never paid attention to the fact that there is this kind of house there. That is normally what happens to us. Uh, Psychologists call that um, inattentional blindness. Inattentional blindness. They say that our minds can only receive certain information. Our our, our minds can only pay attention to certain kind of information at, at any given time. So as long as you're not paying attention to something, you won't see it even though it's there. So it's, you can completely miss an entire building when you've been living in that place for years. It's called inattentional blindness. That's what psychologists called it. Um, my wife and I enjoy watching this TV series called The Amazing Race. I don't know if anyone ever watches The Amazing Race. I see you, Kate, there. Uh, I, I absolutely, it's a competition where there are couples that are racing together against other couples all over the world. So they are racing to to win a a, a sum of money usually, I think it's one million. So they go through different countries doing certain challenges and all that. Um, One of the things that always, you know, fascinates me about that show is that you probably have a couple or a team that you're rooting for, right? And they're given a clue and then in looking for that clue, they t- completely miss it. And, and, and you're probably shouting at the screen to say, but there it is. There is the clue there, and they're just running past it. And you can see it. You as the audience can see it, but they can't see it in the competition, probably because they're not focused on that. But I, I was just th- trying to think, what are some of the reasons, based on that show, that people miss the thing that is right in front of them? And one of, some of the reasons that I came up with ignorance, first of all, number one, ignorance, that is failure to read the instruction. They don't know what's written. Some people read the clues, but they don't actually read it. If you understand what I mean, they read it, but they don't actually read it. Because they just rush through the words, and then they infer what they think they read. But after a while, after they've wasted so much time, they go back to the clue and read it again, and then they realize, oh, We've been doing something completely wrong. So that's, that's the ignorance part that I'm talking about. And then the other reason is deception. So being fed the wrong information. Remember, you're racing against other teams. Some people can come and give you the wrong information because they want you to lose, right? Or those, or those same people that are giving you that information might also be deceived. They might have read the wrong information as well. Right? So deception, just being read the wrong information. And the third reason is overthinking, which is a common one. Overthinking, they might say, okay, they they might see the clue, they might see the place where they're supposed to be going, but then they think, that's too easy. It can't be. Let's let's keep on looking, um, only to miss out on the actual thing that they were supposed to be doing because they, they were overthinking. If the instructions were pointing them to a particular thing that they saw, then it is. But people tend to overthink. The same with the gospel. Do you know what the gospel means? The gospel means too good to be true. It means too good to be true. Sometimes we may hear the gospel in its true nature that your sins are forgiven even right now. Your sins are completely forgiven. Even your future sins are forgiven. That's something that I struggled with for a long time, that my future sins are forgiven. How can it be? Well, 
I'm living 2,000 years after the death of Jesus Christ. And if what Jesus did 2,000 years ago still saves me now, then that means my future sins are also forgiven because I'm living in the future after the cross, right? So the gospel is too good to be true that sometimes we actually overthink it. It's as simple as believing, and that's it. That is how simple the gospel is. And then the last reason that I came up with is lack of attention. Lack of attention, which is what uh, the psychologists were referring to, that we might have all the information, but we're just not paying attention to the thing that is right in front of us. And I found that all these reasons that I've just mentioned here, ignorance, deception, lack of attention, as well as overthinking, are exactly almost the same reasons why we also tend to miss out on exactly what's right in front of us when it comes to the true message of the gospel. So I'm going to read a couple of verses uh, from the Bible um, that, um, that will just, you know, put in some more detail into this message that I'm just trying to preach. So when I'm talking about missing out what's right in front of you, one of the reasons that, you know, comes to my mind is it almost seems like sometimes we are looking at information and there's a veil in our face. No matter how much we look at it, we won't see it. Even though we are looking at it, but we, we actually can't see it. So that is the same thing that normally happens with the law. I grew up in a church where, you know, there were certain rules. Women had to dress a certain way. You had to do this. The way to salvation was a very complicated one where you had to hear the inaudible voice of God. And even when we read the New Testament, there was always the legalistic element that we always see the word through. It almost seems like there was a veil. The first time I heard about grace in its pure form, I was like, no way, that can't be true. Why? Because I was still seeing things through the veil. But thank God for the word of God itself because the person that was preaching to me about grace quoted everything from the Bible which I regarded highly as, you know, God's authority. And I was like, okay, if this person is preaching this message which I don't agree with, from the same Bible that I also believe, then it's worth investigating, right? So I investigated for myself, and I actually started realizing, oh, this is true. And suddenly, what I couldn't see for 24 years, I could see, right? When I read the Bible now, I am no longer reading it with the veil of the law or legalism or, or a list of rules and regulation, but I'm now reading it from the revelation of the Spirit, of God, which reveals us, reveals to us the grace of God. So, so it almost seems like, like there's a veil or a blindness of some sort. If we read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 to 4 from the Passion Translation, it says, If the good news, which is the gospel we preach, is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God or who is the exact image of God. 
Another challenging statement that I'm just going to make this morning is that the devil is not there to make you sin. You do realize that the devil is not there to make you sin. Let's go back to the, to the beginning. What did the devil say to Adam and Eve? Did God say, if you eat of this tree, you shall be like... Uh, did God say, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall be like him? You shall not, or, or something, you shall be like him. You shall not be like him. I, I think, yes, yes, that's what, yeah, that's what he says. If, did God say to you that if you, God say to you, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then he knows that you're going to be like him. Yeah, that's what the devil said to Adam and Eve. So he wasn't trying to make them sin. He was actually just trying to make them not believe what God had said. So the purpose, the enemy is there. To make you not believe the message of the gospel. Because really when it comes to sinning, sinning is, that's, that's, that's really all your responsibility. The devil doesn't make you sin. You, you do it yourself. You've got the option to sin or not to sin. The devil is there to make you not believe. Because he knows that unbelief is the only thing that will separate you from God. Not sin. Sin stood in the way in the sense that, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't be justified before God. But when you read what the, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is from, from Jesus, he says, the Holy Spirit will come and convict the world of sin. Why? Because they do not believe in me. The only sin that will separate you from God is the sin of unbelief. And that is what the enemy is fighting for. That's, why, that's what this verse is saying, that they are unable, that Satan who is the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who what? Who don't believe, not those who don't see, no, those who sin, but those who don't believe. Trust me, when you believe right, you will live right. So the enemy is there to make you not see the message that will lead you to faith in Christ Jesus, because he knows that's the most important thing. Now, just a few examples of where Jesus stood in front of people and people could not recognize him for who he was. John chapter 5, verse 39 to 40 from the New Living Translation. John chapter 5, verse 39 to 40 from the New Living Translation. It says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. If you pause there for a moment, and just think about that statement that Jesus was making to these religious leaders. You search the scriptures because they, you think they give you eternal life. Is there anything wrong with searching the scriptures to find eternal life? There's absolutely nothing wrong to search the scriptures so that we can find eternal life. But what was the problem here? The problem is that but the scriptures, the people were looking for scriptures pointing them to eternal life, not realizing eternal life was standing in front of them. You say, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. And you were standing in front of them. They couldn't believe in Jesus in that moment because they thought Jesus was supposed to be these other religious leaders who was going to come and rally them against the Romans because they were under Roman rule. But Jesus did not come that he brought a different message completely. 
So they were searching constantly, religiously, looking for eternal life when eternal life was standing in front of them. And yet you refused to come to me to receive this life. This was Jesus. And we know from many stories in the Bible that the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they all completely missed Jesus when he walked on earth. Why? Because they, they had an expectation that was different from the Messiah they got. That's why they completely missed Jesus. Another, another, examples, another example of, um, of this situation is John 11, verse 23 to 25 from the Passion Translation. He says, uh, so this was Jesus speaking to Martha. Martha is the same lady that, um, um, that when Jesus came to their house was busy preparing food for Jesus and not sitting at Jesus' feet. But I'll, 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 I'll reference that. So Jesus told her, Martha, your brother will rise and leave. So Jesus was saying, so Lazarus was Martha and Mary's brother and Lazarus had died. Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus. So now Jesus had gone to them after Lazarus had died and had been buried. And Jesus was saying, your brother will rise and leave. She replied, yes, I know he will rise with everyone else on resurrection day. Martha, Jesus said, you don't have to wait until then. I am the resurrection and I am life eternal. Anyone who clings to me in faith, even though he dies, will live forever. Martha had, Martha had a picture of what Jesus meant when Jesus said, your brother will rise again. She never realized that Jesus in that moment was actually referring to the fact that he had the power to raise Lazarus from the dead. And it is the same Martha, like I mentioned, who when Jesus was in their house, came to Jesus and said, Jesus, do you not... I, can't you tell Mary, my sister, to come and help me prepare the food for you? And Jesus said, Martha, you worry about too many things. Only one thing is needful, to come and sit at my feet and listen to what I have to tell you. There was nothing wrong again with Martha preparing food for Jesus who was a visitor in their house. But Jesus was saying there was something better than natural food, which was spiritual life-giving, eternal food. So it was more beneficial for Martha to sit at Jesus' feet in that moment than for her to prepare the meal. Because the words that Jesus was speaking not only sustained her in this life, but even in the life to come. Have we not been caught up with so many of the temporal things that we completely miss out on eternity? And some of the temporal things that are, we, may be, we may be caught up with, just our normal jobs, our normal routine, I have to do this to make my family live, which is, again, there's nothing completely wrong. I myself am a man who works, looks after my family as well. But sometimes we get too caught up, too focused on the temporal that we actually miss out on the eternal. And it's always an encouragement to us to always, in, even in our, in our daily lives, to always remember to focus on the eternal. And Jesus will always be the best example for me. If you think about the story of Jesus with the woman at the well, Jesus was hungry and tired, and his disciples went to get some food, 
And then he decided to, to go through Samaria, which, is, which was unusual for a Jew to go to Samaria. Why? Because the Jews and the Samaritans, they did not see eye to eye. So it was un, unexpected for Jesus to have gone to Samaria. And then he gets there, he meets a woman, which is, which is even more because they were not even allowed to talk to each other. And yet he started talking to her. The first thing that Jesus said to the woman was, give me water to drink. And then the woman said, I don't have anything to get the water with, uh, to, 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 to get the water with for you to give you. And then the second thing Jesus said to that woman, he was already, he had, he had already switched his mindset from just the natural water to living water. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me water to drink then you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Already, in a conversation about water, Jesus turned it from just the natural to eternal. That was Jesus' always default mindset in any situation. He was always thinking about the eternal. His disciples come back with the food. Then they ask him, Lord, do you want some food? And he says, no, I don't, I don't want food. I'm okay. And then they ask him, who gave you some food? Or they started asking themselves, did, he, did someone come and give him food? And then in that moment, the second sentence again that Jesus said was, I have food that you know of, not know of, and my food is to do the will of my Father. Already, he was using the natural, which was food, to talk about the eternal. That just shows you what the default mindset of Jesus was in any conversation. And this is an encouragement to you. If you ever struggle with evangelism, I still do. But if you ever struggle with evangelism, use what's natural to that conversation and turn it to eternal. Water, living water. Food, food to do the will of my Father. Jesus was just using the conversation. He wasn't doing anything more than we would, you would expect us, expect us to do in our normal conversations. He was just focusing on what they were talking about. And that is really amazing. It's just a side note, just to tell you about evangelism. So, after we've read all these verses, the first verse Jesus was saying to you, um, and yet all these scriptures point to me because I am the source of life. Then when you say to Martha, I am the resurrection and I am eternal life, what is common about all these things? Jesus was always referring either to eternal life or to himself as eternal life. And now we're just going to ask ourselves, what is? So, what is eternal life and why is it important to us? If we read from John chapter 17, verse 3, from the New King James Version, it says, And this is eternal life, that they may know and experience you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing and experiencing God through Jesus Christ. That is what eternal life is. It's all about relationship. Again, in another verse in 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 to 13 and verse 20 as well from the New Living Translation, it says, And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Like I said, eternal life is in Jesus Christ. Whoever has the Son has life. That means Jesus is eternal life. 
I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Which is exactly what Jesus said in John chapter 3, that for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. So eternal life is in Christ Jesus, and eternal life is Christ himself. And we can experience eternity now. We don't have to wait for such and such a time for us to experience what eternal life is. We can experience eternal life in the year and now because that's what God always wants us to, to do, to experience eternal life. Eternal life will flow from what's inside of us, what's right in front of us, inside of us, which is the Spirit of God. Eternal life flows from that place. So God wants us to live the here and now in unbroken relationship with him. And life only becomes abundant when we know what we have inside of us. From John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. That is God's desire for us to have life and life in abundance till it overflows. When we receive the gift of God, that is eternal life, just like what he said to the woman, you yourself will become a fountain of living waters. So the moment you receive eternal life, you yourself become the source as well. So once you drink from the source, you become the source. That is the amazing gift of God that we get to be partakers together with Christ Jesus in eternity. So it's not just enough for you to just receive the abundance of life, this eternal life, the Holy Spirit. But once you receive it, what do you do with it? You also share it with other people that needs to hear it. That's why at the end of that chapter, when Jesus was speaking to the woman, the woman went and she started preaching. She became in that moment the source of living water for the people in Samaria. Jesus didn't even need to tell her. She went and she started preaching by herself because she realized that she had drunk from the, water, from the well of living water that will never run dry. So now I've got a question that I want to ask you. What is better than something that is right in front of you? What is better than something that is right in front of you? Something that is inside of you. I can enjoy, if, if there was a Ferrari outside, I can enjoy walking around the car and just seeing how beautiful that car is, right? I'll enjoy it because it's, it's not often that you come across a Ferrari, right? I can enjoy looking at that Ferrari, walking around, maybe even touching the door handles just to feel, just to feel them. But what's better than just admiring a Ferrari? Being in a Ferrari and driving a Ferrari will probably be a better experience than just looking at a Ferrari and enjoying the beauty of the make. But guess what? That is exactly what Christ came to do for us. Before Christ died and 
rose and then went to heaven. He was right in front of us, right? As a human being. He was right in front of us. But he says, it is to your advantage that I go away so that the Father can send the Holy Spirit and come live inside of you. So what is better than something that's right in front of you is something that is inside of you. And that is the truth. That is the, the core of this message. I know I titled it right in front of you, but the reality is he is right inside of you. That is the message that we preach now to all those after the cross, after the resurrection, after, the, after Pentecost. Jesus is no longer just right in front of you. Jesus now lives right inside of you. Man, I would wish one day to go to Disneyland. Right now I know what Disneyland because I've watched YouTube videos. But you, I'm sure once you go there and experience what Disneyland feels like, getting on the rides and all that, it will be a much better experience than just watching YouTube videos. So it is really an opportunity for us now to reflect on this gift that we have inside of us, which is the Holy Spirit, that we get to live off of the Spirit that is inside of us, which is much better than just viewing the Spirit from outside, than just seeing the Holy Spirit working so mightily in sore and so, when you can get to experience the Holy Spirit for yourself. That is the better thing. So Jesus said, in his prayer for his uh, disciples and for all believers in John 17, verse 20 to 23 from the message translation. I am praying not only for them, but also for those who believe in me. And this party was referring to us. All those who believe in me. We have all believed in, what Je in Christ Jesus. So we get to be part of this prayer. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so that they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them, so they will be unified and together we are, and together we, as together... I gave them so they will be unified to, and they will be, un, they will be as unified and together as we are. I in them and you in me. Then they will become mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you have sent me and loved them in the same way that you've loved me. This is what Jesus prayed for us on the night that he was to be betrayed and taken and to be crucified. He was praying for that unity, for that oneness between ourselves and God, that we are in God and he is in us. So if you ask, if you think about that, I always used to struggle as a child, maybe even as an adult as well. How can I be in God and God be in me? The only explanation is that we are the same. We are one. That's the only explanation. If A is in B and B is in A, that means A equals to B. That's the only explanation so that we can be as one. So now, as a believer, you no longer have a different spirit. You now have the same Holy Spirit. 
The spirit that is in Christ is the same spirit that is in you. The spirit that is in another believer is the same spirit that is in me. That's why we can get to stand in front of in front in the service, share a word that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And in that moment while you're sitting there, you say, wow, that's the same thing that God has been speaking to me. Why? Because it's the same spirit. The same spirit, spirit that is speaking to one brother is the same spirit that is speaking to one sister. Because we have the same Holy Spirit. And that is the something better that is right inside of us. Then from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Verse 14 to 17 from the message translation again. It says, our firm decision is to work from this focused center. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life. A resurrection life. A far better life than people ever lived on their own. Because of this decision... We don't evaluate people but what, by what they have or how they look. Always a challenge to not evaluate people according to their external circumstances. I know we, we are tempted, but how can so-and-so be so-and-so? Because we get to see people with their flaws from a natural perspective, and then we also think, but how can, how can that person be a leader? How can that person be a preacher? How can that person... Uh, say they're a Christian because we are evaluating people according to the flesh. The reality is all of us are on a journey to maturity. We are born mature in our spirit but not in our minds and in our bodies. That's the thing. We get to mature. In fact, true maturity is not something that happens in your spirit. The spirit is only reborn. And when the spirit is reborn, it means you now have a full mature spirit. There's nothing that can change with that spirit, but your mind has to be renewed daily. And the renewal that comes in our minds is through preaching, is through the word, is through different circumstances, but the, the word is the one that matures to come to the level of understanding that, you know what, I am just like Jesus, so I can live like Jesus. That means the more you get to think about these things, the more you, your mind gets to mature and you now start to reflect what's inside of you. So it is a journey to mature in our minds and even in our bodies. Thank God that we don't have to do it again with our own power because the, the Bible says in Romans 8 that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same power to raise even our mortal bodies right, to life. So that means if we are alive on the inside in our spirit, that same spirit has the power to influence even what's inside of our minds and our bodies. So we get to experience the fullness, the full measure of what God came to give us in our, in our, in our, in our lives, even through the same spirit that empowers us to live a righteous life. So in closing... I'm just going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 from the Passion, which says, But we don't focus our attention on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is seen, what is unseen, what is in the unseen realm is eternal. Like I said, sometimes we, we've gotten... 
used to this gospel that is always promising people, come get your money, come get your car, come get your house. Again, nothing wrong with all these things. We need these things as human beings. But if the only thing that you are focused on or if the only thing that you are working towards in your Christian life is having a house or a car or a good job, then you're probably missing out on the fullness of what God came to do for us, which is unseen. The enemy wants to distract us with all these things. These things have become a distraction. That's why people are just following and hoping from church to church, prophet to prophet, because they are being promised riches and wealth and all these temporal things. And they completely miss out on eternity, which is ultimately, when you look at it in, 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 in light, when you look at our lives in light of eternity, is far much longer and greater than we could ever imagine. Have you ever, have you ever thought about this idea that do you know that everybody who lived, let me just be a bit more conservative here, everybody who lived 200 years ago is no longer there. Everyone who lived 200 years ago is no longer there, not even a single human being. If there were 8 billion people 200 years ago, all 8 billion are gone, which is amazing because it just shows you that in light of eternity, if you take yourself out for a moment just out of the timeline and think about the length of your life in relation to eternity, what does your life look like, the length of your life in relation to eternity? Probably like a dot. And so God is saying to us that live your current life, your earthly life, in such a way that your life will, will impact the whole of eternity. Because sometimes we, we think of our lives, we, we, we regard our lives so, so highly that we fail to realize that in light of eternity, we are just but a dot. There is, there is not much to our lives in light of eternity. That is the reason why I believe Paul said that, but our life light affliction is nothing compared to the glory that shall be revealed to us because it only happens according to him for a moment. It's something that we can only endure for a moment and then we get to live out all of eternity. So it's just an encouragement. Now in closing, just to recap on some of the things that we were talking about. We started by looking at what's right in front of us, right? That sometimes we miss out on what's in front of us. Why? Because... We're ignorant. We're just not reading the instructions. Or maybe because we are not paying attention. Or maybe because we are deceived. All those reasons could be the reasons why we miss out on what's right in front of us. And then that Jesus himself came to give us eternal life. And that eternal life is in him. He is eternal life. But ultimately... He is not just in front of us. He is right inside of us, which is much, much better than having something in front of you. So that means we are being called to an experiential relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not something that's theoretical that we just 
think about or talk about, but it's something that we get to experience. And the life of Jesus is really a good example. The life of the apostles, how they went about preaching and impacting people's lives is just a testament to how the Spirit was working inside, in and through them. I like this one verse, I think it's in the book of Acts, that says that, and when the people saw um, the disciples and what they did, they realized that they had been with Jesus. They realized that there was a power that, is, well, that was working inside of them that was more than just human. There was something inside of them that was really empowering them to do the things that they were doing. So where, what are we focused on? Do we realize that we have life eternal inside of us? Do we realize that we've got something that the world needs? And that is really the reason why we get to focus on mission trips like Albania, that we get to focus on outreaches so that we can reach everyone who needs to hear the gospel, who needs to hear this too-good-to-be-true message that they can also experience this relationship with Jesus. I just want you to focus on, just to reflect on our lives again and ask yourselves, have I been experiencing this eternal life that God came to give us through Jesus Christ? Have I really been experiencing what it means to have eternal life? What it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Am I living a life of eternal abundance or I am just living life without the full realization that I have something greater inside of me? Something that can help another person, something that can impact eternity. If you're ever in the Tigerberg area, we invite you to visit us at one of our gatherings. To find out more, please contact us at info at gracelife.co or visit us at gracelife.co.